0: hello and welcome to weekly mtg the only show coming to you metaphorically from inside the building i have two fantastic guests with me today to talk jumpstart historic horizons going from top to bottom we have ian adams from the arena team and then aaron forsyth of course from the r d squad so we are going to introduce a new packet today preview some of the cards in it. Well, all of the cards mm-hmm. in the packet. Uh, and then we're just going to talk through Jumpstart. We'll talk about the mechanics. We'll talk about uh, several community topics. We'll talk about the inspiration behind a lot of this stuff. And we will answer your questions as well. Uh, so if you have questions, please do put them in chat. Uh, it does help to tag us sometimes, but I'm also watching pretty closely and I'll, I'll write everything down. Uh, just because I don't answer your ask your question right away doesn't mean i haven't marked it for asking later in the show so stay tuned um but let's jump jump Uh, that was not intentional but we're gonna Mm -hmm, we're gonna mm -hmm. go with it let's jump right into it uh and start showing off some preview cards Uh, so our packet has two rares and or mythics in it uh and the first one that we're gonna show off is not new to arena, but it is a rare. So let's show it. Stick it up on the screen. Iron Craig Pyromancer. So uh for those of you listening at home, it is a 0-4 originally from Throne of El Drain for two and a red human wizard. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, Iron Craig Pyromancer deals three damage to any target. And this, of course, gives away the theme of this packet that we're talking about today which is it's called on the draw, but it it deals with drawing your second card each turn. So uh, before we move on to the second rare and or mythic, um, Ian, since this card already exists on Arena, you want to talk a little bit about how that works with the jumpstart packet and the versions?
1: Sure. Uh, One of the upsides of collating something digitally is that we have the ability to go in and specifically call out which expansion it comes from. Uh, and so in this case, this card comes from Eldraine. So if you have copies of this card already, uh, you're not going to wind up seeing some copies from Eldraine, some copies from Jumpstart Historic Horizons. They'll all be in Eldraine. And if you manage to get a fifth copy of this, you will be compensated for that the same way you are if you draft a fifth copy or have a fifth copy in a sealed pool anything like that.
0: Great um our second preview card is a card you definitely do not have any copies of on arena it is a mythic rare that is new to arena and it works really well with iron craig pyromancer seasoned pyromancer from modern horizons one is coming to arena and historic if you're listening to this it's a two two for one and two red mana Human Shaman. When Season Pyromancer enters the battlefield, discard two cards, then draw two cards. Uh, for each non land card discarded this way, create a 1 1 red elemental creature token. And then it has an ability 3 red red. Exile Season Pyromancer from your graveyard. Create two 1-1 red elemental creature tokens. Uh, So before we get to the rest of the packet, Aaron, do you want to talk a little bit about introducing Modern Horizons cards to Arena and Historic and and sort of the power level you were shooting for?
2: Yeah, this one here is probably right at the top edge of the power level we were shooting for. This is one of the all-stars from the first Modern Horizons. It's still played in Modern a lot today. Um, It kind of does it all. It's definitely a card we've talked about, you know, for standard sets, but we think it's too powerful, especially because there's this kind of hidden ability of drawing you two cards. If you if you're hell bent, if you have no cards in your hand and cast this, you get to just draw two. Um, but we you know we looked at what's good in modern, what's good in MH one and MH two, and tried to find uh, you know the sweet spot of cool cards that would add a lot to both the jumpstart the fun of playing jumpstart and the historic metagame and and uh you know put in as many of the iconic and and cool and powerful cards that we could including this one
0: yeah um so let's now bring up the rest of the packet so the the packet is called on the draw it's all about drawing two cards so let's uh so take a look at this and sean let's leave this up for a little bit because uh, the next thing I want, Ian, can you explain how these packets work, what all these percentages are, what these rows mean?
1: Sure. Uh, each packet is broken up into slots. And so with any given slot, like the very first one is Pondering Mage, Tome Anima, and Moldrifter, Uh 50% of the time when someone pulls that packet, they're going to get Pondering Mage, uh, 25% Tome Anima, 25% drifter. Uh, The next slot is Onarophage, Mad Ratter, Tolarian Kraken, and so forth, and generally these are designed to be multiple cards that can kind of fit into the same slot while still keeping uh, packets interesting if you wind up playing them a second or third time. Uh, You know, you're not going to wind up seeing the exact same collection of cards, Uh, though you do see, you know, often that handful at the bottom. The same rares are pretty common, or some of the key cards that make the packet work.
0: And then you'll notice, you know, the first jumpstart had had lands included in the list. This doesn't. How does that work on Arena with the lands?
1: Sure. So one of the things we do is that because we've introduced the idea of multicolor packets, it's a lot harder to know in advance what the right distribution of lands is going to be, and. Uh, Another upside of being digital is that we can look at what your final combination of packets is uh, and we can uh, add appropriate lands for that packet. You know, uh, getting two black red packets is going to want a different distribution than one mono red packet and a black red packet.
2: Are are there there non-basic lands included in the, in the, the mix?
1: there are uh we've got the gain lands from m20 and we also have uh cycling lands that match the colors of the packet that you've chosen in addition to the basic lands that we add
0: yep and, okay, and so if you want a more, more robust detailed explain yeah if, if you want a more detailed explanation of how that works we do have an article on Daily MTG that talks about what Jumpstart Historic Horizons is. And in there, it it gives a little more detail on on how lands are added based on on what color packets you pick. Mm -hmm. Um, So next up, I want to go through the three new mechanics uh, that are in this set. And we're going to start. We'll throw a Conjure card up on the screen which is Tome of the Infinite, which is a legendary artifact for two and a blue. And for a blue and tap it, you conjure a random card from Tome of the Infinite's spellbook into your hand. It perpetually gains. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast this spell. Uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about what Conjure is and then where the idea came from.
2: Uh, Conjure is a way to introduce cards that otherwise don't exist in the game into the game. Um, So it's similar to how in traditional magic or normal tabletop magic, you can make tokens, which introduces objects into the game that you have to represent with some other object on the table. This lets you introduce objects into any zone, uh, most often your hand uh, is where we're conjuring things to, sometimes into your library or graveyard, uh, which you can't really do in tabletop because, you just either don't have the object handy, or you would be, you know, or it's just kind of onerous with the sleeves you would have to have, or whatever. And then we can add this kind of wackier, random element to it, um, so that you don't know what you're getting. Um, there is a list of spells that is turned with the infinite spellbook. It's ten different one mana spells, two of each color. Um, so it, it, there's a, a narrow band of of what we let you get, but it is still uh, randomly determined. Um, and those are. You know, really cool things that can only be done on the digital platform for Magic. As far as where it came from, um, a lot of the ideas for the mechanics in Jumpstart, Historic Horizons, the new cards, kind of, we started kicking around when we were doing the Mystery Booster playtest cards, um, which was an exercise in what are fun things that that you can imagine doing in Magic that wouldn't work in the blackboarded rules. as we were coming up with cards that shuffled other cards in, into your deck or cast spells that otherwise didn't exist or created objects in your graveyard. You know, those sound fun. Those don't, oh, there's some examples right there, right? So Time Sidewalk shuffles four copies of Time Walk into your deck and it's written here as tokens because we don't, obviously don't expect people to have four actual Time Walks to shuffle into your deck. Um, but as we were making these and playing around with them, you know, there's a lot of travel, this would be, I would love playing a card like this on Arena, you know, like, it would be cool if we could actually cr- do uh, cards that perform these actions in, in a way that was adjudicated, right, and worked within the rules of of the digital platform, because that's where these ideas seem most to, to be at home. And many of us have played other digital card games that do get to play in this space, and so we, we know that it's, it's it's pretty well explored, and we understand how it works. Uh, and the arena team i'm sure we're having their own conversations about branching off in this direction uh, but i would say that the mystery play the mystery booster play tests were the, the real spark for uh, most of the mechanical ideas that we ended up putting into into jumpstart
0: Okay. Yeah. um ian let's let's go back to conjure how do, how exactly does this work on arena how is it implemented
1: sure uh conjure can work uh two main ways a card can act either conjure a specific card uh where it says um we've we've shown sarkin so we can say that sarkin has an ability that conjures specifically one card to your hand and you get a copy of uh shivan dragon uh or conjure can ask for a card from a list of cards um and that has to be again a predefined list of it's gonna be these 10 cards Uh, And Conjure is required in the rules to tell you where it's conjuring things, uh, because the possibility exists, as we see here, to conjure into the graveyard, or uh, there's other cards that conjure onto the battlefield. Um, If we really wanted to, we could conjure into Exile. I'm not sure how useful it is, but, you know, something out there could use it. Uh, And one of the fundamental things is once this card is in the game, as far as the rules engine is concerned, this is a real card it can do everything a real card can do it can be bounced to hands it can go to the graveyard it can transfer zones uh but one of the major upsides we have on paper is that no one accidentally shuffles this into their deck at the end the the game engine knows what your deck list is it cleans things up perfectly uh and that's a one of the things that makes this feasible and digital that is just too much to deal with in paper and we've always got a copy of it you know whatever card doesn't matter if you somehow manage to conjure 30 copies of uh shiv and dragon you've got them all you've got enough sleeves you're always able to play
0: right. uh we have a quick rules question about conjure uh this will be for you ian uh does the card that is conjured get revealed when it goes to your hand
1: uh, the card that is conjured uh, does get revealed when it goes to your hand. I, It definitely does in the case of cards like Shiv and Dragon, where the ability says which card it is. I don't think it does for Spellbook, because Spellbook, uh, the there's no the reason for your opponent to have... Oh, Tome of the Infinite, yeah. Uh, conjuring from Tome of the Infinite Spellbook, that just goes to your hand without a reveal step.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. So this is something that uh, the computer, the computer can handle, right? And if this was put one of these 10 cards into your hand, like, like a wish or something like that in tabletop, you, not, you would have to show your opponent to verify that you were right. like, cheating and putting something else into your hand. But it's cool that the computer prevents anyone from cheating and does exactly what you need to do. And much like drawing a card, um, this is kind of kind of like draw one of these 10 cards uh, and your opponent doesn't know what it is. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing a lot of us take for granted is a lot of these abilities that say reveal this card or, you know, play with this revealed <clears throat> are just measures so that your opponent can check that you actually did the thing the card says you did. And when you have the computer checking to make sure that that's the right thing or just doing the thing for you, that's just not a necessary step. Mm-hmm. Um Great. So let's move on to the next ability. And we're actually getting a couple of questions about it in chat already. Uh, Let's talk about Perpetually. So we'll put Davriel's Withering up there. Uh, Target creature Perpetually gets minus one, minus two. Um, I've taken a couple of rules questions down from chat, which we'll get to in a moment. But Aaron, uh, talk quickly about uh, what this ability does and where the idea came from.
2: Um, so the unique thing that digital allows to happen is things to be tracked across zones that wouldn't really be easy to do in tabletop, especially if you have, you know, four copies of a creature in your deck and something happens to one of them and then it gets shuffled in or whatever. Um, but perpetually lets the computer adjudicate that if I give your, uh, shivan dragon minus one, minus two, and now it's a, a four, three, um, and then it gets. Shuffle back into your library or bounce back to your hand. It's going to be a 4-3 everywhere. Then when you redraw it and replay it, it's going to remember that it was a 4-3. This can be particularly nasty against stuff like uh, Scrap Heap Scrounger or um, Cauldron Familiar that wants to come back from the Graveyard. This is going to kind of permanently shut those cards down much the same way an an effect that Exiles them would. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's cool that, you know, we can... This one's a negative effect. There are plenty of ones that add positive effects to your own card. So if you give your creature death touch and then it dies and then you grave dig it back, it's still going to have death touch, which is you know a, just a cool way to augment and, and kind of adapt cards as the game goes on.
0: And then uh, Ian, how does this work implemented in Arena?
1: Sure. Uh, the way these work on Arena is that the effect you can up- you can use perpetually to modify any type of layered effect that you can do normally in Magic. Uh, you don't gain the ability to like it- modify things that you can't normally. You can't like uh, change the expansion it's from or something. It's all stuff that's normal <laughs> Magic card qualities that you can normally change uh, with a card. With the big difference being that it survives. Uh, zone transfers and Mm -hmm. for some cards like this one that basically just you know it allows uh this to be removal for a card that recurs or at least to weaken a recurring threat Uh, for a lot of other cards it's really fundamental because they want to do something to a card in your hand or a card in your opponent's hand and without perpetually those changes don't survive. Uh, You can't Mm -hmm. make a change to a card in hand, have it become an object on the stack and have those cards that's changed last uh, unless you have tech like perpetually. And because it's digital, we can do stuff like put flying on a card in your hand without revealing it. And you know that you're not going to have your opponent four turns later when they drew the card, they actually wish had flying play that and go, oh yeah, that uh, that's the one. That I picked way back when. Trust me. Yeah, the right. idea from this,
2: uh, the, the kind of prototype but, for this was Skullbriar, the Walking Grave, which was a mm-hmm. commander card from several years ago that had got plus one, plus one counters that tracked through the graveyard, exile, and the command zone. Uh, we couldn't do it in hand or in in library for obvious reasons, but. Uh, that was fun and players love that card um you know your investment sticks around with with commander you obviously had opportunities to replay the card many times and so those counters staying really really mattered um and so you know why not try that in digital with a variety yeah. of effects beyond just plus one counters and then we can open it up to even the hidden zones like hand and library to keep tracking that stuff
0: yeah Um, Okay, we've got a couple rules questions, and and Ian, I'll I'll pitch these to you to start. All right. Um, Does perpetually affect all cards of the same name or only one of the cards?
1: Only that one copy. You are modifying the card itself. Uh, An example of this would be... Static Discharge that we've previewed that has, has to specifically say go put a perpetual counter on each card with the name Static Discharge that you mm-hmm. can find because we're not modifying like the idea of Static Discharge in your deck. We're modifying these specific cards.
0: Yeah,
2: right. So it's like you're writing on it with a sharpie. You know, like yeah, if mm-hmm. you're Dragon minus one minus two, that particular one. The next one you draw has not been written on with sharpie, so it's fine. Exactly. All
0: right. Um, How does Perpetually work with the Command Zone? Davriel's Withering, for example, would just kill off some Commanders permanently in Brawl. Uh,
1: Because we want to make sure that some of the other interesting potential positive effects perpetually survive in Brawl, we want it to survive into the Command Zone. Uh, If there are things like Davriel's Withering that are causing major issues, that's obviously you know, we've made calls before with stuff like um, I'm blanking on the name, but it's the card from Ikoria that makes it so you can't cast anything except from outside the game. your Magistrate. Dranith Magistrate. Yeah. Where we we made the call that like, hey, brawl's a fun format. Somebody playing a card that doesn't let you play your commander is not the spirit of the format that we're trying to capture. Uh, not for us. So right. that's so, obviously the kind of if- thing we're aware of and watching
2: it interacts very powerfully with the command set. So <laughs> yes yeah.
1: for uh, for better and for worse yeah
0: yeah yep uh and to that end i'll just mention that uh, as soon as this episode is done at 3:30 uh the arena state of the game article is going to be going live which will have uh more information about some of this stuff so definitely look for that on dailymtg.com at 3:30 um Couple other perpetually questions. Um, I answered this one in chat, but we've seen I've seen it enough that I'll ask it again here. Ian, uh, how does it work with flickering?
1: Uh, perpetual survives flickering. If you flicker a perpetual card, it comes back with the perpetual modifications on it.
0: Uh, here's a more complicated one. How does perpetually work with mutate stacks?
1: Uh, that is a good one. Perpetual affects the card that is- uh specifically specifically targeted so um with mutate every card in the stack has that effect applied to it so if you blink a mutate stack with a perpetual effect on it they all come back with that effect uh it does not confer it to each card so like if you have a card that has perpetual flying in your hand you put it on the battlefield you make a mutate stack only the card that got it in hand keeps perpetual If you're able to modify a card perpetually once it's in that pile of mutate cards, that effect gets applied to everything in the pile. And so when it goes to the graveyard or it gets flickered or anything, they all have that effect.
0: Cool. Um, Here's another out there question on perpetually. Um, Does perpetually reset after each new game in a best of three match?
1: Yes, it does. Each so Perpetually game is only for that everything's game. Everything's fresh. Yes, okay. for the duration of that game, Perpetually is an effect.
0: Great. Um, how does Perpetual work with copy effects?
1: Uh, perpetual effects uh, apply to... Since they don't apply to the object, they apply to the card. The object gets copied without any Perpetual effects. Okay. So it's, it's right. like you're... The copy is off of the base version, not the perpetually modified version.
0: Gotcha. All right. Keep putting perpetual questions in uh, chat. These are great. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll we'll come back to it. But I do want to cover um, the third mechanic and, and some other topics as well. So go ahead and keep putting perpetual questions in chat and we'll, we'll get back to them. Uh, next up, let's talk about the last mechanic, which is called Seek. And the example we have coming up on the screen is Faceless Agent, which is a three color or three of any mana creature shapeshifter 2-1 with Changeling. When Faceless Agent enters the battlefield, seek a creature card of the most prevalent creature type in your library. So this is a card that makes it into a lot of the tribal packets. Um, So seek is a new ability it it bears some resemblance to some tabletop abilities so aaron tell us about this ability and and where it came from
2: right so seek means uh go through the entire contents of your library identify one card that meets the requirement at random and put it into your hand but otherwise leave your library intact um that would not be really possible to do at all in tabletop um selecting from a, a, mid, a, a large number of things at random is difficult enough. But then once you pick up your library and look through it and take one out, you have you now know the order of your library. and That's just a huge information gap that we would never allow to happen in, a, in, in normal magic. But this lets us, you know, like I said, the computer can adjudicate all sorts of things without actually showing either player. And this just lets you let you do that. So it's sort of a combination uh, of like traditional tutoring Um, and Cascade, the Cascade mechanic, which kind of flips until you find a card that meets a certain uh, mana value requirement. This is effectively generating uh, a card in a similar vein to that, um, but without actually reordering your line. Mm -hmm.
0: And then uh, Ian, tell us about the implementation on Arena.
1: Uh, Honestly, I think my favorite thing about the implementation on Arena is the snappiness of it. It's not something you think about, but like playing this card in playtests and I'm playing a Slivers deck and I put down Faceless Agent and there's just another Sliver in my hand. And there's no dialogue box that pops up. There's no, you know, reveal window to talk about it with my opponent. I haven't given up any information. I'm just playing my tribal deck and I have the card that fits my tribal deck and it's keeping my engine going. And it, it, it's a hard thing to get because it's not just there in the text. It's there in sort of the digital implementation. Uh, but yeah, mechanically, this is one of those ones that we went, oh, this is almost trivial for a computer to do, like a computer being able to look through your deck and grab a card and put it in your hand, uh, you know, there's a story in a week, uh, good morning magic about a card that accidentally took all of the lands out of everyone's decks and put them in your hand simultaneously in an early version. So (laughs) there are times we have to make this not happen in digital, let alone make it happen.
0: All right. Let's let's talk about a couple rules questions that I'm seeing in chat. Uh, So just to clarify, seek does not shuffle anything I know about my library. Like for example, from a scribe that stays correct.
1: Correct. Right now. We are clearing your scry. Uh, there is work to be done to make sure that the the complication there is if the top of your deck is something that is in the category that could have been sought, uh, but you might have another copy of that. There's an information leak in pulling the one off the top or not. And do we need to clear scry or do we don't in certain situations? And we have fixes for that coming in. It's not going to be in the very initial release of this, but these cards and mechanics are sticking around, so we will be cleaning that up. Uh, but okay. it's true that what you scryed well, remains there. We don't.
2: We just can't clear your scry up mean? right
1: now. Oh, on Arena, we we show you what you scried, and rather rather than making you remember. We just leave that card oh, face oh, right. up on the okay, top okay. of your so, deck. Oh, so okay. it just it,
0: the card doesn't move necessarily. It doesn't you just move. Don't see it anymore.
1: It's yeah. We we were working on the edge case of okay, but what if I'm not sure if the War Elf that I pulled out of my Elves deck with Faceless Agent is the one that was on top of my deck, or if it's a War Elf that was <laughs> deep down in my deck? There's no way to be sure in order to, to respect that lack of information, you ought to have, you know, it should be, if it's a forest on top, we leave it revealed. If it's a where elf, we unreveal it because you can't be sure anymore. Right now we unreveal it because we weren't able to get that tech in in time, but the, gotcha. the fix is coming. All
2: of it. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Gotcha. It's, it works okay. correctly. It's just the Yeah. It's just not showing the sure. the, okay,
0: yep. the interaction. All right. Um yep. what happens so I've had a number of questions. What if you have one copy of each creature type in your deck for Faceless Agent? So what if uh, there's a tie. Then
1: Then you are tied and if you are tied, you uh we pick randomly amongst the tied things.
0: Okay. Uh the card that is put in your hand from seek is not revealed to the opponent, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Uh
0: making sure there aren't any other seek questions here. Yeah, I've
2: seen a lot of chatter about seek about like if it said seek a planeswalker, won't I just put one of the best planeswalker in my deck? And yes, that is a way to use Seek, much in the same way it's a way to use Cascade to make sure you always hit Living End. Um, mm-hmm. We typically are avoiding those kinds of designs, though. We want you know, we definitely we want the Seek to be kind of referencing things that it's going to be natural for you to have a lot of different ones in your deck, like low mana cost mm-hmm. cards or creatures of a tribe or whatever, so that you know there is some. Uh, suspense as to what it is you got exactly and it's not just a Mm -hmm. way to always find the same card over and over and over again
1: yep Mm -hmm.
0: all right um i want to get through two more examples to chat through and I've, i've got a ton of questions chat keep them coming uh got a bunch of great questions that we will get to or at least we'll get to as many of them as we can um so next up let's bring up subversive acolyte which is a card that was already previewed uh now aaron there was a little bit of chatter around this one uh because the digital only cards the, the 31 are by and large things that can only be done in digital or only practically be done in digital this one looks to be a little bit different so the, the question is could this this type of card be a tabletop card
2: <clears throat> yeah i'd say this is one of the ones that is Closest to the line and might even be on the other side of the line of things that would or would not work well in 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 paper. Um, There's a a gradient, uh, you know, depending on how much work you're willing to do and how much extra information you're willing to track, Um, you know, abilities that you can activate only once. Uh, I think that you know, is something we could do in tabletop and probably have done in, in some ways. Um, the transformation, it just, if this card just works a lot more easily digitally, like the, the mm-hmm. stats will change, the keywords will be there. The fact that you activated it uh, means you won't be able to do it again and you, you won't have to remember that. So, uh, you know, if this card's a, a fan favorite, I could easily see importing it into tabletop, means in that vein as well. Okay. to spectrum Wait. of difficult to track or adjudicate in, in, in tabletop in these arena yeah. cards.
0: Yeah, and I guess that here, I'll, I'll lean into this question someone asked earlier. Is there any possibility of any of these cards getting some kind of paper printing one day? A few we've seen would be great and workable in cube or other casual formats.
2: So, yeah, some of them, not all of them. But there's certainly some that would never work. Um. Uh, we want to <laughs> make the magic cards want the people want to the play them. So we will definitely be monitoring these and thinking about discussions and and seeing if there's places that they could go other than other than here, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, makes sense. Uh, next up, let's talk about Skyshroud Ambush. So I saw question about this in chat, but I've also seen a lot of chatter about it around the internet since we revealed it. So Skyshroud Ambush, if you're not familiar, is a green instant for one in a green. Target creature you control fights, target creature you don't control. That's pretty normal. And then it says, when the creature you control wins the fight, draw a card. Ian, tell us about that last line of text there.
1: Sure thing. Uh, wins the fight <clears throat> is one of those lines of text that is deceptively complex as to what exactly does it does the words wins the fight mean and uh, this is actually a design that has come up several times in paper where we've tried to find attractive ways to do wins the fight uh without you know sprawling text or a ton of reminder text that sort of pulls away from uh the simplicity and and the aesthetic of the card, really, what makes the card Mm -hmm. feel good. Um, And even then, you would have to keyword the concept, wins the fight. And we generally don't do one-off single card in a set keywords, um, but it's something we were willing to experiment with a little bit in a digital set. Because you can Mm -hmm. mouse over this card and get a hanger that pops up that explains, hey, wins the fight, that means that as this is resolving, if your creature survived and their creature didn't, you have won the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to do that and adjudicate the rules and handle situations where it's like, what if while this is on the stack, I shock their creature, and that's what makes the difference between their creature living or not living. All that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, it's it's one of those designs that looks very clean and simple, but making sure it's actually all communicated rules correct on a card, without the card having Frankly, too many words for an effect as simple as it is. It was mm-hmm. been a real challenge, but digital can come through and kind of conveniently move some of those extra words to a hanger when you mouse over.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes. So this is one of those cards that Aaron could translate to tabletop, but would have to be worded in some different way to actually work.
2: Yeah, this one, I was. Privy to some of the conversations going on between the editors and the rules people and the arena people. Uh, it's even a little over my head, honestly, as to like what the problem here is, but I'm assured that there are many, especially it's just mostly that it's not clear enough for two, you know, average players to understand what it means for something to win the fight and when this card's actually gonna trigger to let you draw a card. Um, like mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of corner cases and a bunch of weird interactions and weird timing things that don't make it obvious so that two people will necessarily agree on what's happening and what should be happening, but the computer will get it right um, and you'll, you'll be drawing the card exactly when you should be and not drawing it another time. So I think the education thing, uh, it's going to be worth trying to explain this rule over and over again to people, maybe, uh, but right now we thought it was over the line.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair enough all right that covers all the stuff we had planned to talk about we now have a bunch of questions uh we are going to get to as many of them as we can i'm I'm not going to promise that we'll get to all of them just because there there are so many good ones um but we're we're gonna try we got 25 minutes left let's see what we can do um All right, so this is a a not uncommon sentiment. And Aaron, I'll pitch this one to you first. Um, Someone commented, what I like is the exploration of new design space. What I dislike is the growing discrepancy between paper and digital magic. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Magic has done so well recently is that we have kind of acknowledged the differences in the audiences and catered to them, as opposed to trying to create some monolithic experience that we expect everyone to want to have. You know, the growth of Commander by itself shows that there are people that enjoy playing Magic in a kind of a very different way than what we had been focusing on previously. Um, and there are cards in Command that don't really work well in in one v one or whatnot, like a, a a difference in experience because there are cards that work for one audience that don't that are just not part of the world for the other audience. And on we just felt digital um, deserved that same kind of treatment. That there there's plenty of fun stuff like I showed you with the mystery booster card stuff we would like to do fun things we can add to the game. They're only going to work for this one way to play. And I don't think that means therefore don't ever do them. I think it means, you know, create them and let people that play that way uh, enjoy them. Um, there will still be plenty of exactly replicated experiences from tabletop on arena, you know, the draft environments, the standard environments. We're gonna leave those as they are. We think they we're gonna let people them and, and you know transfer their their skills and what they've learned um, frontal to the physical world. Um, but much like you can't play Commander on Arena, uh, at least right now, we, you can't play these uh, jumpstart cards on tabletop. But that doesn't mean, therefore, they're not fun or therefore they don't have a place. I think they they do have a place. We want to create fun things for everyone who wants to play Magic to be able to do uh, in the way they like playing. Yeah
0: uh next question so this is more a question for ian but aaron you told me a story about the origins of jumpstart historic horizons so i'll actually have you tell that story i think you'll know what i'm talking about when i read the question um now with all these old mechanics programmed in can we expect more old cards coming in the near future maybe old draft sets so aaron first can you talk a little bit about kind of the the origin of how jumpstart historic horizons started
2: Yeah, I think there was just a lot of, you know, when the first Modern Horizons came out and it wasn't on Arena, there was a lot of, you know, players saying, I wish this was on Arena, I wish this was on Arena. And I was the designer of Modern Horizons too, and I had a similar thoughts of like, wow, I just spent a lot of time working on this. I played a lot of Arena. I would love to play these cards on there. Um, but the this the card for both of those sets was designed specifically for Um, modern and there's a lot of ui stuff that arena you know is really likes us to avoid like like pitch spellings that create priority passes at times whatever so you know a lot of our standard sets are, are designed very much thinking about the experience across all platforms but you know these ones weren't and the power level of some of the cards in those sets is just crazy as well so we wanted to come up with a way to Get the ones that were the right fit mechanically and power level wise onto arena and jumpstart was uh, i forget who exactly suggested that exact implementation but uh it seemed like an awesome fit uh there's great themes across the horizon sets adding in the digital stuff was kind of icing on the cake and then we got to pull in a bunch of other cards from other sets as well to flesh out the packets um so it just seemed like a, a slam dunk way to kind of get a little bit of what everybody wanted uh, and increase increase what Arena has. All
0: right. Uh, Ian, I'll, I'll reread the question to you. Um, sure. With all these old mechanics programmed in, so we got things like Delirium, for example, mm-hmm. can we expect more old cards coming in the near future? Maybe old draft sets?
1: Uh, it definitely makes those things easier. It lets us invest in that. Uh, we've talked about you know to to point at one of the elephants in the room uh pioneer is still on our radar as a place that we want to go and even though it's not immediately evident i think looking at some of the things in here every time we do something like this and we complete more old mechanics and we get the parser understanding more templates it makes it easier for us to start work on that and it makes it more likely that we can fit it into our schedule. I mean, uh, this is, this is a year with five standard sets. Uh, and in the place of the core set where we usually get a breather, we had a set with literally no vanilla creatures. That's how busy the team has been
2: and dungeons yeah,
1: and dungeons and dice rolling. And, you know, classes turned out, what happens when you animate a class? Does it still have a level? That kind of question, uh, taking up all sorts of time. And, uh, when we do things like this it lays a bunch of foundation work that makes it much much easier for us in the future to go back and we've got mechanics as old as return to ravnica in this set being used <clears throat> being implemented and uh yeah making progress on that front much much easier going forward
0: yeah and i and i think it was it, correct me if i'm i'm wrong on the scene it was something like 81 cards in this set are legal and pioneer and are new to arena.
1: That sounds right. I could, I'd have to go double check, but it's, it's right about there. If not exactly that. Yeah.
0: But I know you guys gave yeah. me a direct number. I know you all are tracking that progress. Yes. towards pioneer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'm, There are still stories in the system for Pioneer Masters 1, and I went in and started marking stuff as completed because work that Mm. needed to be done for that got done for this.
0: Great. Um, All right, next question. This one's probably for you, Aaron. Uh, With the overall power level of Historic going up with all of these modern cards being added, will some of the previously banned Historic cards be revisited for unbanning? They didn't give any examples. They just kind of generally speaking.
2: Um, Typically when we um, have meetings about banned and restricted lists, if there's kind of a lull in the action and nothing immediately banned uh, and things seem okay, that's when we go back and kind of audit the the previous kind of move past this card being oppressively powerful. Um, So I I don't know that it's going to happen uh imminently uh considering we're still you know figuring out what to do with card storm or whatever and we'll have to see what this set does we honestly you know adding in this many cards into the format could do all sorts of things that we'll need to react to um, but mm-hmm. you know if there's a lull in the action the this, the power level of the format is certainly going up and yes we will we will revisit those uh, no guarantees that it results in action but it is certainly something that we do as part of the normal process of maintaining formats like historic Okay.
0: Um all right, next question. I I got this in a variety of different ways. Um and Ian, I I don't think we have a public answer for this yet because jumpstart hasn't even released in its current form. But if you can give some of your your the team's thinking behind it. Uh out of curiosity, besides the jumpstart method of acquiring these uh cards and using wild cards, will there be any other product or bundle releases? Uh Uh, that would potentially bundle some of these cards for play in historic. Uh,
1: sure. So that is something that we looked at for this and wanted to do. Uh, there were enough issues specifically dealing with the ability to correctly do duplicate protection in a set that drew from so many other sets because we had done the work to make sure that you wouldn't get a fifth copy of something from Eldraine Uh, Mm -hmm. but that when you opened it in a jumpstart pack the duplicate protection wasn't working correctly because it wasn't ready for you to be drawing an Eldraine card that was a rare in the middle of this pack that was otherwise not Eldraine cards uh that wound up being something we weren't able to solve in time for this release it is feedback that we have heard and it's feedback that we take very seriously uh and it was not something we were able to fix for this jumpstart release
0: okay fair enough um aaron let's this is the next question is a question for you how is Tome of the Infinite specifically not a color pie break? Does the fact that the card is chosen at random make for, for the fact that it can pull effects from any color? For those who aren't aware, so uh, Sean, if you can put Tome of the Infinite back up there. So the the list of cards that Tome of the Infinite can conjure uh, is all it's all one mana spells, but they're they're spells drawn from every color. So Tome of the Infinite is is grabbing. Uh, like Fog is in there. Uh, Fog and Lightning Bolt and and
2: Swords to Plowshares are great examples of of why this question deserves to be asked. And the honest answer is it kind of is a little bit. Um, It is the unreliableness of it that makes us think it's okay. Um, Hmm. If if it was a colorless artifact, for instance, uh, I don't think there would be there obviously wouldn't be a color pie break problem going on. Um, it's mm-hmm. more like a blue card in that it is an efficient way to draw cards. Um, what the cards are is, is is pretty unreliable throughout the course of a game. Um, but, yeah, I think on its surface, a blue card that lets you draw and cast lightning bolts is a bit of a color pie break. Um, but we think that ultimately it's not going to be... a, a a reliable enough source of direct damage or, or fogs or whatever that, that you're going to say blue now can do this anywhere close to as well as red or whatever can, uh, And it's just more mm-hmm. true as a, as a way to draw cards is why we think it's, it's, it's okay, but we'll see.
0: Okay. Um, next up, Ian, are all the packets, the same rarity, or is it like the first jump start where some packets are more common than others?
1: Uh, In this one, all packets are the same rarity. Uh, There are some modifications to how packets show up where one of the things that we do is ensure that each time you jump into Jumpstart, uh, you are at least offered a packet you haven't played yet until you've played every packet in order to, to try to make sure that people get a good variety and that you don't wind up in that situation where you had a packet you were interested in, you picked another one, and then you played so many more games, and you never saw the one that you let go. We, we heard that a few too many times on original Jumpstart and wanted to make sure mm-hmm. uh, we addressed that. Uh, there's also the site modification that the first packet you pick influences the pool for your second group of packets to make sure that, you know, if you pick a white-blue packet first, we're not going to offer you a black-red packet. You're not going to wind up in this five-color mess. Mm-hmm. You're going to get packets that fit the color pairs that you picked you'll either get you know you'll get a variety of options and it's not totally fixed but they'll make sense with whatever you picked first
2: yeah one of the things people uh the themes were appeared at different rates but each of the packets in the first jumpstart appeared at the same frequency there just happened to be five or whatever four different goblin packets but each one of those packets was as rare as say the the, the Chandra packet. Um, but here, uh, because we can do the dynamically building the packets uh, as we go and get the variety, that way each each theme shows up at the same frequency.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. um, we've got about 10 minutes left, and I've still got maybe 20 questions here. So uh, let's try to answer some of these quickly. Uh, just curious, how long was this project in development?
2: Yeah, time is I'm meaningless thinking. to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, any, you're asking a question about a timeline that happened in 2020, and it all <laughs> smears together for me. Over a year? I feel Sounds... like
2: we started it before the pandemic, at least maybe in the studio. I don't...
1: Yeah, no, I, I feel like we had... I feel like early meetings were before pandemic, yeah, and like we we were doing the early packet selection remotely, but I feel like it was like March or April that we were doing it, maybe yeah, I don't do, please no one quote fill. the dates I'm giving because <laughs> it's all a smear uh
0: time is a construct uh all right, next question um so this kind of goes towards the pioneer question before, but uh, someone saying they wish more old sets were added to Arena. They want to play Vintage in Arena. Do you think you would ever be able to do that?
1: I I am a big never-say-never person. Vintage is a big enough chunk that I wouldn't even speculate about the amount of time it would take for us to get there right now. Uh, Mm. But, you know, I have every desire to keep this game as healthy and effective as we possibly can and on a long enough timeline you know if, if there are cards to add we want to keep adding them
2: mm-hmm. all right yeah we've already got um, black lotus in there and and like yep. tropical island is, is so so the 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 sweet <laughs> powerful old cards are in there it's going to be like the the chains of mephistopheles and the sylvan libraries that are going to be the, <laughs> the oh, real library. yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, okay, rules question. Let's let's go to Ian for this one. All right, so with the library being maximum 250 cards. Yes. What happens if I find some infinite loop to conjure more than 250 cards into my hand and library?
1: So you actually have uh, additional headspace for conjure. You can conjure up to 250 cards. So if you have a 250 card library in which you are somehow able to get out your parts for your infinite loop to keep conjuring cards, you can get it up to 500. Um I would prefer that you didn't. Uh, please don't, do that, but if you want to, if oh, you no, want no, to no. you can.
0: There are there are several people who are writing this down right now to go do this as soon as the set is released. Uh, All right. Uh, Ian, another question for you. Yeah, challenge accepted. Several people. All right. Um, How hard was it to implement these new mechanics in Arena?
1: Um, It varied quite a bit. Seek, like I said, was a pretty straightforward mechanic. Perpetual, far and away, is the most challenging. There's just a lot of little places where, you know, one of the fundamental one of the fundamental assumptions that Arena makes going into this is that a Lana Elves is a Lana Elves is a Lana War Elves. And if I need to talk about the card Lana War Elves, I can just look it up real quick and show you my default picture of it. I don't have to track a given Lana War Elves and that stops being true with Perpetual. It matters which Lana War Elves this is and what's happened to it. And plumbing all of that through and getting it to show up correctly on revealed windows and things like that has definitely been the biggest challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, another rules question on perpetually. If I perpetually modify a dual faced card, do both sides retain the change? They do. That was easy. There you go. Uh Aaron. Big philosophical question, and, and you spoke to this earlier in the stream, but um, I've, I've gotten the question several times, so let's let's do it again. Uh, why are you introducing cards only for Arena? Uh,
2: well, because they don't work anywhere else, and I don't, I don't mean I don't mean that flippantly. I mean similarly to why we introduce cards that function in Two Headed Giant in Battle Bond. Um, There are places and styles of play that uh, parts of our audience engage in, and some of them exclusively uh, you know, on Arena, for instance. And we want to make as much different kinds of content as we can for different people. Um, So I know there's an audience for whom Arena is considered a tool that allows them to practice and get better at tabletop magic. I'm happy to leave that alone for other parts of the audience that want to just play the most robust skill testing fun variety tcg we can make this is just another tool that allows us to do that we want to make content for people for the ways they play that makes the game more fun and i i assure you that that is what our goals were with this and i think we did a good job so please give it give it a try
0: okay um seeing a lot of questions about the economy and if future changes are expected, um, you know, a lot of people asking questions about it around jumpstart specifically. And and I'll just answer that again quickly because we don't have any news on that today. And the economy is a big enough topic that we could do an entire show on it. So uh without specific news, we're not gonna delve into that in in five minutes. Um, but I do see that it is a question a lot of people have, and so uh you know i may look to we've got we got some weeks coming up where i'm looking for topics for weekly mtg and so maybe we'll have the arena team back on to talk about economy and and future plans and all of that so we see that question we hear it it is a very big topic um that, that is a little outside the scope of this show so uh i i know that's not a satisfying answer but it it won't be a satisfying answer in five minutes either so um yeah. we will we will revisit that also I don't uh, think but,
1: Aaron or I works on the economy. So we yeah, are not the people that we answer don't any have the right people it.
0: to talk about the economy as the other part of it, absolutely.
2: I participate
1: um, in the economy. Yeah. yeah.
0: uh real quick, Aaron, is it okay to stop being a pirates fan if we're just utterly disgusted with their lack of effort?
2: There's gotta be some good years coming down the pike, so uh Part of being a fan is, you know, suffering in unison with your brethren.
0: So, mm-hmm. um, uh, did the arena team design these cards, or was it the main R and D team? Uh, uh,
1: sure, uh, we had a team that was a mixture of both. We had a few arena people on. Uh, I was one of them. Um, as was uh, a few other people. A a couple of them were people who had designed on um, other digital TCGs who were kind of pulled in for that specific experience. Uh, And then we also had a number of people from the R&D team, the Studio X folks. And uh, at the end of the day, the final design stuff all went through, you know, set design leads from R&D and, more or less the standard process for building out and iterating on a set.
0: Right. Um. Let's see, next question. I'm, I'm seeing what we can do. I'm trying to get as many of these in as we can in three minutes. Uh, Ian, are Jumpstart cards going to be part of historic individual card rewards going forward?
1: I would have to ask Jay for that. I would expect so. They are legal and historic, and so I don't see why they wouldn't be.
0: Okay. Uh, Ian, here's another never-say-never never question. Any chance of seeing the old digital cards from Shandalar in
1: Arena? Um, I, I want to know thing the answer that... to this
0: question, too. Uh,
1: I think we need people to figure out who has the rights to those cards and who has the rights to that art. That's and uh, that's true. that's step one before I can get into <laughs> implementation questions or anything. Yeah, for for I'm those in who Pokemon, don't know, so here
2: we come.
0: Yeah, Chandelier <laughs> and also a Dreamcast game from the early two thousands both had some digital only cards uh, that don't exist anywhere else except in those individual games. So Arena's not even the first place we've done this, uh, but. of a blast from the past i do love chandler Mm -hmm. we've played it on this stream uh next up have we seen the most exciting card that can be conjured i will answer this question by telling a story so when i first learned about jumpstart historic horizons i asked for a a card list just so i could get a sense of the set that's kind of how i take stock of them the set every time i get it and i and i started looking through the set and i just came across tropical island i just I, i did a double take I looked for the other the other, you know, original dual lands and there there weren't any of the other original dual lands. And I was very confused. I was like, why would you introduce just Tropical Island to historic like? are are we really leaning into that blue green meme is what what's going on here and and that's when i discovered the conjure cards but of the and the conjure cards were on that same list they were marked differently but i didn't understand the set well enough to to get that at that point and and so tropical island was the big one that stood out to me as as being the most powerful now uh among those i, I would say we've probably seen the most powerful among the conjured cards because a a lot of the conjured cards like the the list comes from tome of the infinite and then otherwise most of the conjured cards conjure specific cards like like uh shiv and dragon so i would i would say probably yes depending on what you think is powerful
2: yeah i think
0: that's correct yeah okay (laughs) that is 3:30 um i know i i've still got like 10 questions on this list so i'm sorry to everyone whose question i did not get to um and, you know, we will probably set up another stream with the Arena team sometime soon. Maybe just answer a bunch of questions, talk economy, to try to backfill some of these questions. I think it's a great topic and, and we've got lots to talk about. So um, thank you, Ian and Aaron, for joining us on this stream and, and answering so many questions, talking about Jumpstart Historic Horizons. Uh, Jumpstart Historic Horizons previews are ongoing through next week, all the way through the third And then uh, we are releasing Jumpstart Historic Horizons only on Arena on August 12th. So look for it then. Uh, Next week, I won't be here, but the show will be back. Uh, We'll have a pretty big show next week. uh, So tune in for that. Otherwise, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week.